Hi there, thanks for joining me for this episode of Gravity, the digital marketing and internet business podcast. I'm Bob Gentle and every week I'm joined by small digital marketing business owners, creators, consultants and practitioners who share what makes their business work. Whether you run your own business or you're just thinking of stepping out on your own for the first time, you're in the right place. If you're new to the podcast and welcome along, just take a second right now to subscribe to this show in your podcast player. That way you won't miss new weekly episodes and you can dig into some older ones when you finish this one. This week, I'm speaking to Zach Jones. Zach runs a digital marketing business in Alabama, focusing on some really interesting vertical markets. Zach has some great perspectives, and if you've ever thought that big government contracts were only for big agencies, then prepare to think again. So welcome along, and let's meet Zach. Zach Jones, welcome to the podcast. Do you want to start just by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and what you do? Sure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm the owner of Recruit. That's R-E-K-R-E-W-T, for those of you listening. Um, We are located in Alabama, USA. Um, I I will interject this. I'm a bit curious to hear how people respond, Bob, because we have your Scottish accent and my (laughs) southern U.S. Alabama accent. You know, some people's heads may not be able to uh, accommodate both. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll do my best to speak clearly, though. Um, <laughs> You're perfectly clear. It's a very sexy accent. And I, as, as a man, I'm happy to say that. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, I like to say that we live at the intersection of uh, a couple uh, industry niches or verticals and a few specific services or horizontals. So our two primary niches are community colleges, two-year colleges, and governmental workforce development agencies. And the specific services we most typically provide are digital ads, uh, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Google search, uh, those types of ads. So the services we offer are focused around recruiting for those niches, getting the right people, um, get the the right leads, the right applicants for government training programs, for public education, things like that. So you mentioned Snapchat there, and I'm I'm isolating that one because that's really typically targeted at a very young demographic. And Mm -hmm. is that that a commonality between the two vertical markets that you operate in, the the government and the community colleges? It is. um, We use it more, well, it it depends on the goal of the campaign, but if we're going after a high school age demographic or around college aged, um, typically we'll get very good results with Snapchat. We don't even consider it with any age group, you know, I would say 25 or older. Right. I was just curious because in all the people I've speak, spoken to, um, and I'm talking about a lot of people inside or outside of the podcast, not very many of them are actually very comfortable with Snapchat. Um, it, it seems to be something mm-hmm. that either very big agencies have a small specialist team um, or they just don't go near it. Um, so I'd be quite interested to really sort of needle into that a little bit at sure. some point. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I don't use Snapchat, um, which some people laugh at. But, you know, we have uh, Rebecca on our team. You know, she's a recent college graduate. She's really smart. She understands, you know, how people are using that platform. Um, it, I'll tell you, the most difficult aspects for us and what I hear from her um, in doing Snapchat ads is using their platform. You know, their platform for buying and placing ads and selecting audiences and uploading creative, all the things that go with that is just light years behind Facebook, Google, and these other platforms. 
um, and that can make it frustrating. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, well, I it's not something I've any experience in, but I can imagine if it's frustrating if you're used to Facebook's platform. Yeah, Snapchat. It doesn't matter how hard they try; they they can't possibly keep up with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, with the community colleges and the the government, what does a typical engagement look like for you? I mean, when the when the little mission mission brief arrives, what does it look like? Sure, um, they're they're actually fairly similar, um, and sometimes there can even be some overlap uh, depending on the specific customer. But you know, we um, we we are all about recurring revenue, so um, we try. Most of our campaigns are on an annual basis, so we try to really get them to think about a long-term strategy instead of just, "Hey, I have this urgent need. Let's do a thirty or sixty-day campaign, and you know we'll see what happens after that." We're trying to get our customers to think in terms of long-term strategy. So you know, for a college. Um, you know, a community college typically has three primary enrollment periods, you know, fall, spring and summer. So we're doing, you know, enrollment and recruitment campaigns three times a year. And those other months uh, we may promote, they may come to us and say, well, you know, we have these specific programs or courses that have very low enrollment. We need to boost them. So we'll focus on those, those other months um, for the workforce development work that we do. Um, it's 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 pretty consistent year round. There's not a lot of seasonality to it. So, you know, the government is trying to get un and underemployed people to improve themselves and get a better job or a job if they don't have one so that they can be a, you know, a taxpayer instead of a, uh, um, someone who's sort of living off of government assistance. So that's a continuous need. And we try to recruit people into the right or ideal training uh, situations based on their interest and experience, work history, et cetera. And in terms of where your clients are, I'm assuming, and I'd be interested if my assumptions are right or wrong, mm-hmm. but that that is contained within a particular geographic footprint. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, you're mostly correct. I mean, most of our customers are based here in our state. Um, um, we have some local at the sort of the local level. We, you know, the state of Alabama is a large customer of ours, the state government. Uh, we do have one federal government contract. Uh, we do want to expand beyond our state because we feel that our niche expertise is fairly rare. Um, but this niche is fairly new to us, though, over the past one to two years. So we're really trying to grow slowly and deliberately, being sure that we're you know, doing things right. And we're not trying to rush into anything before we you know, have a solid you know, process and systems in place for the types of work we're selling. Before we, we don't want to grow too quickly, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, but I guess to, to be honest, the state of Alabama is probably not too different in terms of size as my whole country. <laughs> so it's still a big territory. <laughs> so, across your clients, then what what does a typical engagement look like in terms of a a tactical deployment, if you like? What what you mentioned a few tools that you're using, but how how are you normally brought to bear? Sure. Um... There's so, you know, our niche is so small just in terms of the number of people working within it. Um, it's, it's somewhat difficult to market ourselves. So it's a lot of word of mouth and referrals. Um, you know, we do try to put out some content, but, you know, when those people come to us, they typically have a very specific need, uh, the type of people they need. 
And then um, fortunately with our niche and our experience, they're not coming to us saying, hey, we want you to do Facebook ads. They're coming to us saying, we need this audience. We need, you know, for one campaign we're about to start, you know, they literally need 5,000 workers. Um, And, you know, how do we, how do we, here's the type of demographic we're looking for. You tell us what needs to be done to reach this, you know, to reach enough people. So there's a lot of strategy involved and we, depending on their demographics, determine the, the platforms, the types of creative. Can we get by with static images? Do we need video or HTML5 ads? Um, you know, what is going to reach that audience the best? And, you know, we just tell them um, what we think they need to do and what it's going to cost. And, um, you know, it's, you know, we were talking before we came on air, um, the benefits of, of being a you know, specialist. And when you have all that experience in their space, they're expecting you to tell them what they should do. So, um, you know, what we literally get asked often, more often than not, what should our budget be? You know, they're yeah. not telling us we can only spend X dollars. They're asking us, what do we need to spend? Um, so, but yeah, that's typically how it goes. Yeah. So you mentioned your own marketing and I think because you, the more you become known as the go-to guy for a thing, the less you have to do marketing. But mm-hmm. how do you handle your own marketing? I guess that's really where I'm, I'm going. Sure. Um, our biggest challenge is the fact that most of the people that need us have never hired anyone to help them with what they need help with. Uh, I know that sounds like a, a weird answer, but they've never used digital marketing to recruit people for workforce development. So the thought has never even entered their mind to seek someone like us out. If they try to seek us out, we're pretty easily found, but they've never done it. They've never even thought to do it. So that's our biggest obstacle is that educational aspect. So, you know, we, between YouTube videos and, um, and being active on LinkedIn, which is the biggest platform for our target audience, we try to be active with, you know, putting out content, whether it's just articles, you know, we do proprietary research that our audience can use to help them do their jobs better. So we try to push that out. Um, but, but it's a little bit different, uh, just because, you know, it's not like we're selling to, you know, in a B2B space where everyone knows they need us, you know, we're having to educate them on why they, why we even exist in the first place. And then we have to move on to the next step, showing them the results we've gotten. And then finally they realize, hey, we need to hire these people. Um, but it's a bit of a lengthy process. And again, it's a question I often ask is most people, the work is a bit of a blend of inbound through that kind of evangelist activity you spoke about uh, and, and referral. And where would you be on the scales of inbound versus referral? We're definitely closer to referral than, than inbound. Um, mm. If you were to put a, you know, drag the slider between those two, um, we're working to change that. Um, but you know, it's, it, it's been, it's been tricky. Um, but that, that's where we're at currently. Mm. Um, I, I know a couple of people who are in the recruitment digital marketing space in the UK and mm-hmm. there's a, um, how would I describe that? There's a, a, a gold rush towards chatbots at the moment. 
think that's mm-hmm. probably the way I would describe it. Companies springing up all over the place as chatbot companies for recruitment because they see it as a way to very quickly handle large recruitment campaigns. Is that something you've looked at? Definitely. Um, it's something we are actively trying to sell to our customers. Um, you know, 100% of our revenue is from government. And, you know, working with the government is a little bit, sometimes it's slower. They're slower to want to try new things and slower to adapt than we may like. <laughs> and um, um, so there's lots of regulations in place that maybe a business may not have to pay as much attention to. With government, we have to think about, you know, how would someone with a disability interact with this chatbot? Is it going to be compliant? Um, you know, if you know, we may have to take into into account different languages. So it's it. There are things I think we can handle, but it's been difficult to get buy-in. Um, but I, de- you're absolutely right. That's you know, especially for some of our larger campaigns where we're getting you know, thousands and thousands of clicks at a time. You know, when we generate these leads for our customers, they have a hard time managing them efficiently. Um, and absolutely chatbots and some atom- automation would improve the process for both ends, the, you know, the public and, and our customers. Um, mm. But it's something we're trying to, trying to get more buy-in for, absolutely. I, I was just curious about the chatbot thing because I've played with chatbots a little bit, but what I'm sort of hearing from, from what, the way you're describing your business is there's so many actually quite technical things going on in lots of little silos if you like and what i'm curious about is you mentioned you have somebody who's really really good with snapchat you probably have somebody that's really good with instagram and somebody that's really good with facebook ads are you doing things exclusively in-house or are you working with a broader team as well so we have a core team um, of full-time employees and then we do have a few contractors that work with us as well um um, you know but we we try to do um you know the bulk in-house and do some of the more specialized things with freelancers. So if we're doing a video ad, you know, we're going to use a freelancer for that, um, or you know, any kind of voiceover, those types of things that we don't do a ton of. You know, we haven't hired for that yet. Um, yeah, I, I was just curious. So in terms of your own business, you've got to the point where I mean, looking on LinkedIn, it's telling me your business is around ten people. Is that accurate? Um, no, uh, we're smaller than that. Um, so, yeah, so I, that always cracks me up. We, we have three full-time employees. Um, and some people, sometimes people are surprised by that number. And I just say, well, when we're so specialized, you know, we can get by with a much smaller team and, and not to take anything away from, you know, my team. I mean, they are super smart, super hardworking, um, you know, and that, helps us to you know to get by with a smaller team um but yeah i i love small teams having having had big teams Mm -hmm. i would pick a small team any day you're more agile um you cost less so when times are good Mm -hmm. it's great but Mm -hmm. when times are tough small teams are really important Mm -hmm. Um, and it's more intimate you you get more more loyalty and buy-in in a small team i agree i agree so working exclusively with government is that something that you've intentionally cultivated or is it something you're looking to maybe branch out of? It just happened. Um, we are wanting to branch out. And I think with the types of recruitment experience we've gained, we could be of benefit to 
several types of you know private companies um, that is on our roadmap uh, for this calendar year um, but it really just sort of um, you know I heard an expression one time that you don't select your niches your niches select you and um, the older I get the more I think there's a lot of truth to that yeah one of the things that I, I've dabbled in government work over the years and I found that whenever I've try to do it there's been a ridiculous process of competitive tendering is that something that you find as well or is it different where you are it it can be um the referral work and you know and repeat work from existing customers it's not very competitive um it's it's uh, when you're dealing with you know if you are going after an rfp um, or, you're, or it's just uh, an organization you contacted on your own, then at that point it can be a very competitive, a very slow, lengthy process. Um, but, you know, when they know that you have it, once they get to that point where they know you've already solved the problem they have, you know, in some ways it's just as quick, if not quicker, than going, you know, than working with, you know, a regular private business. Yeah. I think I'd like to roll back to we we discussed previously that you come from a web design background and you pivoted mm -hmm. into the digital marketing space, uh, and you've been doing this actually for quite a long time now. I think you said something like fifteen years. The, there's a journey you go on in a in this kind of business where in the beginning it's a little bit of a struggle. You're not making much money. You're building a business, then you go through the feast and famine stage. Of, things are up and down. They're up and down, and then things can stabilize for a while where are you just as a person in your business now are, are things quite stable um, or are you ambitious for growth both um, I mean, we're stable um, we had a good year last year we're going to have you know based on the contracts that we already have in place we're going to have a great year this year um, but we do want to grow um, I, I think there's we provide a great value to a specific type of customer and I definitely want to grow further um, but all those things you described, I've experienced. Um, you know, it's easy. Oh, man, I wish I could remember the Steve Jobs quote. But basically, you know, it's so easy to look at someone who looks like they have it all together and they're successful and they're doing yeah. well. You didn't see the years of frustration and struggling and not making any money. And you, you don't see all of that. Um, and we certainly and you know, I certainly, you know, had my share of, of struggles over the years to get to this point. Yeah. The 15 year overnight success. <laughs> exactly. So one thing I really often try and dig into is in the creative space or the technical space, whatever you call it, it's usually it's a mix of creativity and technical when I'm talking to people. People are very good at trading time for money. They're commoditized elements of the business where you're you're good at doing something, people pay you to do that thing and then you move on and you do it again. And people, it's, yeah, it, it can be a bit of a, a hamster wheel. And sometimes that hamster wheel is running smooth, but sometimes it's not. But then there are the more productized elements of what we can do. Is there any elements of your business that you've actually looked at productizing? So instead of constantly trading time for money, you actually package something up once and you can sell it many times. We have. We have looked at and still are considering, um, you know, for a specific type of campaign instead of, you know, having to work with the customer and doing a custom engagement and all of that looking at building something onto, you know, a Facebook API or one of the platform APIs to sort of automate it almost as a SaaS product 
to where a specific type of customer could go in and completely on their own purchase um, a campaign where we would have sort of predefined audiences and creative and things like that. We have looked into that and it's something we still are, are considering from time to time. We just haven't, you know, pulled the trigger on that yet. Yeah, I was just curious. I, I kind of thought that might be the answer because some businesses really push quite hard towards that because they're in a tough vertical market, whereas you're in, you seem to be in a groove with your vertical market is really working well for you. So the, the, that pressure is not there. Mm-hmm. And it, it depends on the customer. You know, we have some agencies that work with us that, you know, kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. They fully understand the value of digital. And this goes, this could apply to any industry. You still have a lot of people out there who, you know, marketing directors who are looking at their budget for the year and they're spending money on print and billboards and radio and television. And then with whatever's left, they say, well, let's give this new digital stuff a shot. And they don't have enough money left for a proper digital campaign. So they, you know, they can't ever even attempt it or they want to do it, you know, halfway or, you know, know, they just can't do anything that's going to get any meaningful results. So we still encounter that a good bit. um, And that for those types of customers that either for whatever reason don't have a lot of money to spend, we could offer a much cheaper product than if we're having to, you know, customize everything. Um, That's where we're coming from on that. Yeah. And I guess with the team that you've got, I'm, I'm curious when you have small teams like that, that seem to be very, very productive. It's not always the case. I know I've had, I kind of hesitate from saying this. I don't think my former team listened to the podcast, but I've had great teams and I've had incredibly unproductive teams. That's a good way of putting it. How do you manage that productivity? I guess that's where I'm coming to. In the digital marketing space, it's notorious for procrastination and not getting stuff done because there's so many distractions uh, if you're going to be profitable you need to be productive how do you how do you sort of manage that motivation incentive incentivization uh, side of things well that's I mean that's a great question um, there's no easy answer I mean like you I've had bad employees I've had great employees you know our, all of our team now is excellent and if they listen to this, I'm not just saying that because they're, uh, they're currently employed. They, we really have a great team. Um, it, you know, I, I think it starts at the hiring process. You know, one of the things I look at is obviously past performance and experience. But I look at their history of work ethic, you know, going back even to high school or college. You know, do they have it? Are they used to working? And I, I start with that. And, you know, it's even more difficult for us because we... You know, our team, you know, we're location agnostic, so everyone works from their own home. We're not all in the same office. We're not all even in the same city or state. And that presents its own challenges. And I think if you interview properly and take your time and you can tell people, just you can tell what people's work ethics are. And it's it just comes down to the selection. I mean, you're not going to be able to make someone be productive who doesn't have the traits of being productive. It doesn't matter how good of a manager or owner you are. If you make a bad hire, they're going to be a bad employee. Um, there's nothing you can do. Uh, believe me, I've tried <laughs> in the past when that was a problem. Um, and vice versa is true. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, I've done the same. One element I'd like to pick up on is in businesses like ours, we become known as the companies that's quite straightforward but people tend to do business with people and 
in some business owners, they put a lot of time and effort into cultivating a personal brand and really being a visible, visible presence. And others really withdraw from that. How, how does that work for you? Are you consciously investing in building a personal brand in your particular vertical markets? Is it something you even think about? No, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's a great question. I try to be very involved in that, you know, making myself a part of, uh, you know, our outward communications, making myself the face of the company. That's my primary job every day is not just sales, but to network, connect, meet people. Um, you know, when they hire us, they're, they're starting with me. And then, you know, once they begin, uh, once they're ready to hire us, then I introduce them to all of our team before they ever even hire us. Um, I let them communicate with the people they're going to be working with um, because I'm not very hands-on once the engagement starts. So I'm a firm believer in making yourself part of that company image. And I think the owner, if the owner isn't going to do it, then you better have someone who is fully bought in, you know, this uh, and, I'm, and I say this because I've made this mistake in the past. You can't go hire someone to be the face of the company or to do, you know, handle sales and that type of thing. Um, it, it's very difficult to do. That's the job that I feel the owner has to be involved in most of the time. I absolutely agree with you there um, and quite passionately. So I've tried to hire people in exactly that role on three occasions and failed every single time. Mm -hmm. But I know when I look to the left or the right of me where I am geographically, there are companies that have 30, 40 employees in my space. And I know the only reason they can do that is because they have sales managers and the sales team that are, well, how would I put this, quite predatory. And mm. what I realized was I don't want to be the guy that has to run that company. So I'm not mm -hmm. going to go that way anymore. I've tried it again and again, and it just doesn't, it's not me. Um, mm -hmm. And I think... I kind of came to the same realization as you that if you if you want the business that you want, you better get used to being in front um, because nobody's going to do it for you. You're right. And, and, and the key to me, the key thing you just said is that's not me. Right. And maybe they're, you know, someone listening, maybe they they're all about creative. They don't want to sell. They don't want to manage. They just want to be a designer. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's you. Um, but. You know, you just have to structure your company in a way to let you do what you want to do. Um, but I just think it's very, it's very difficult. Um, I mean, I think it's a huge advantage. In those instances where we have competed for a project, I feel that being the owner of the agency that customer is going to hire, you know, they're getting to talk to me, the owner. The other company has, you know, a salesman or a sales manager that you just mentioned. That's a huge advantage for us. Um, so I, you, you better have an idea to combat that because customers love knowing that they have they can communicate with the owner anytime they want. Yeah, it does come with a lot of credibility, assuming you don't have a terrible reputation. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, yeah, it can go both ways, I suppose. But Zach, I think we should probably start wrapping up. You're going to need to get home for dinner and I have to go to bed. That's the way the time zones work. Um, if you could offer one piece of advice for somebody that's just about to undertake the journey you've been on or somebody that's maybe just a couple of years behind you, what, what would that be? Um, I could, I could go on for hours answering that question, but I think uh, there's plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, speaking from my own experience, 
Um, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially myself, you know, we have a tendency to have too much pride. Uh, we can be very prideful. And for me, you know, when I started out, I had a tendency to think that I could figure it all out on my own. I didn't need help. Um, I didn't need to see how other people were doing it. You know, I was smarter than them. I could come up with a better way, whatever the case was. And, you know, looking back now over the past 15, 16, however many years it's been, I mean, I made a ton of mistakes, some of them very expensive mistakes, some of them, you know, mistakes that wasted months and months of time. And, you know, there are people like yourself, Bob, there's lots of resources out there of people who have been down the road. And if I could go back and do it all over again, um, I would pay a lot more attention to those people and, you know, be very deliberate about my decisions, not try to wing it, not try to think I can do it all on my own, you know, stop and think, you know, how did they get there? Um, what decisions did they make? And I think the speed, I keep going back to the speed, taking things slowly, not trying to grow too quickly. I think that's the main thing. And then also just, I wish I niched much sooner. And instead of trying to be a generalist, it, it just, you know, we've touched on a lot of the aspects and benefits of that already. But if I could give, you know, I guess if I condensed it to two items, those would be the two uh, primary things to think about. Don't be too prideful. Uh, admit that you need help. It's okay to need help. Um, we all need help. There's nothing wrong with that. I knew I put you on the spot with that question, uh, but that was a fantastic <laughs> answer. And yeah, I absolutely identify with that. And I think you'd be surprised, actually, anyone listening, how happy people are to help you if you ask for it. Yeah, I, I, I love doing this type of thing. Come on, your podcast has been a blast. Um, anytime I'm at some kind of event or conference where I'm with other people, I love, you know, answering questions. If anyone, you know, wants to ask me something, I'll be glad to, because you better believe that when, when I'm around someone with their own experiences, I'm asking them questions. Um, you never get to a point where you can't learn anymore. I don't care how long you've been in this space or how many customers you have or how high your revenue is. There is always something you can learn. Um, and I think you're right. I think, I think we make each other out to be more, uh, competitive than we need to be. I think for the most part, we're not, you know, these agencies that think they're competing against each other. You're not competing against each other as viciously as you think you have lots of common ground where you could potentially even help each other. Um, yeah. I think it's important to remember that. Zach, if people want to connect with you, how would you like them to do that? Sure. Um, they can look for me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Zach Jones, Z-A-C-H. Um, there's quite a few Zach Joneses out there. Uh, so be sure to add recruit, uh, R-E-K-R-E-W-T, uh, to your query. Um, they can also email me, Zach, Z-A-C-H, at recruit.com, R-E-K-R-E-W-T. And I, again, going back to questions, I'll be glad to answer any questions anyone has. Um, it'd be my pleasure. Zach Jones from Recruit, you have been an awesome guest. I've really, really enjoyed myself. And I personally really would like to continue this relationship uh, and maybe have you on again sometime. But for now, thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. It's been a pleasure. Zach is a great example of a niche digital marketing practice being a big success. Operating in a single vertical market gives you the opportunity to be the standout operator in that space. You occupy the category of one and offer obvious, compelling competitive advantages to prospective customers just by offering that industry focus. It takes some nerve to make that commitment 
and Zach's done that brilliantly. Before I go, as usual, just a quick reminder to subscribe to the show and if you haven't already, to join our Facebook group. You can find a link from the website at bobgentle.com or just search Gravity Digital Marketing on Facebook and you'll find us easily enough. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to Zach for giving us his time this week. Thanks for listening to Gravity and see you next week. Bye.